Good evening, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. It's going to be a fun day, fun evening. Welcome to Turfgrass Epistemology. I'm Travis Shaddix. I hope you're doing well. On this channel, we're looking to find how we know what we know about turfgrass science. Thank you all for coming here. I had a minor emergency as the stream was starting. My son decided to have a small little medical thing happen. So I had to rush and take care of that. And I might have to do that again later. So we'll see. Everything's okay, but he needed a little help. <clears throat> Today's going to be fun. It might be a little long. I'm just going to warn you. It might be a little long. I realized I'm doing thatch today and tomorrow and that's it, guys. Sorry. I love you all, <laughs> but I can't do thatch anymore. I'm losing my mind doing thatch. So today and tomorrow is the last two days for, of thatch until somebody comes up with some new thing and publishes it. It'll be a while before I do thatch again. Um, so because of that, I realize I have so many things I need to cover and I only have two days today and tomorrow to cover them. And so I got to, I got to squeeze it all in today and tomorrow. So Today is full. Let's get started. Um, <clears throat> first thing we're going to do is we are going to discuss. We got a, we got a video. We got um, an article. We have a periodical article. We have a website to go over today. Um, it's just packed full. I wish I had a co-host on days like this because I just got so much stuff to go over. Um, I, uh, I don't know if I can get it all and do it in a reasonable time. Oh, hey, so let's see who's here in the chat. Jeremy, Gray, some familiar names, Super TA, Looney. Looney, your name came up yesterday. I'll, I won't say anything about it yet, but um, you, you, you'll know about it in about four weeks or so. So anyway, all good things. Chuck, the lawn sauce. Aloha. So you're back in Hawaii, lawn sauce. I hope your Japanese vacation or family time went well. Brady, good to see you again. Um, oh, Looney asks, how fast can I solve a Rubik's cube? I learned it in high school, but couldn't get it under a minute. It's impressive how fast some can solve it, solve them. I'm not a speed cuber. Um, I have gone to speed cube contests. I'm not, I haven't competed. I'm not a speed cuber. I'm, I'm a lazy cuber. Um, I haven't tested myself. I haven't um, timed myself recently, but I think the last time I did it, I did it the slow way, not the speed cube way. I did it the slow way in 40 seconds. And, and that's the three by three. I don't ever do three by threes. I don't really ever practice them. I only do six by sixes because six by sixes have all the, um, algorithm, all the combinations and algorithms that you need for any higher cube is on a six by six. So there's no point in doing a seven by seven because there's nothing new. And there's two out, there's two algorithms on a six by six that aren't on a seven by seven. So that's the reason I do a six by six. Um, but it takes me about 40 seconds. Maybe I might have it down to 30 seconds. Maybe I haven't done it in forever. I mean, I haven't timed myself in a long time, but speed cubing is a completely different thing. Speed cubing is to a normal cuber. What normal cubing is to someone who doesn't know how to cube at all. So if you know how to do a cube to go to speed cubing is a completely different thing. You're, you're solving it upside down. 
you're putting things together in unison rather than in layers. It's, it's nuts. So, um, anyway, the point is, is, uh, <laughs> thanks for asking about the cube. I guess, I, I guess I mentioned that on a, on a podcast a while back. I think I had it on there. It was the, the curse of knowledge bias where when you, when you learn something, you sort of just think everybody knows it. You know, I, that's one reason why I, um, I didn't really consider doing a channel like this for a long time. But even now when I was doing it, I was like, well, people know this stuff. I was telling my wife, I was like, I don't, you know, I think people know, already know all this stuff. And that's referred to as the curse of knowledge bias. I think that's how it came up on the cube. My son is not a speed cuber either, but he can solve it in under two minutes. Anyway, um, <clears throat> what's next? Uh, oh, hi, Ray. Ray's from Hawaii. Green Doc. Good to see you here tonight. Um, Brent. Oh, my God. I'm a good dad. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. My wife is gone. She's in Washington, D.C. doing her political senator stuff, whatever she's doing tonight. If you want one piece of advice from me about life, marry somebody who's much, much smarter than you are. Things tend to go well if, if you have the ability to manage your ego and to, you know, work within the boundaries of a relationship like that. Things tend to go very well when you, when you marry to someone who is much brighter than you are, <laughs> that would, that would be my piece of advice. So she's gone. I'm here doing the solo dad thing by myself tonight. And, uh, it's been going well. Last couple of days I've been here doing the solo dad thing. No, no problems. Every now and then there's a health thing, but that's common. <clears throat> the best treat, right? <laughs> so Ray says the best treatment for thatch and zoysia green is not to have that as a grass. I'm, I take it you're not a fan of zoysia grass. When I was in college in 97, 90, I forget when it was, 96, 97, when I was an undergraduate, I did a um, internship at some place and I was talking to the guy that was there and he was a graduate of Oklahoma State and he was going on and about, on about how much he loved zoysia grass. And since then, I'm, I'm like, well, it's just like any grass. I mean, you have to know how to manage it. It comes with advantages and disadvantages. And I'm, I myself am not a zoysia, fan of zoysia grass myself, you know, I, I, it, it's, but it's not the grass per se. It's that it requires such different management practices that people generally aren't accustomed to, especially like in Florida where zoysia grass was put in the villages years and years ago because the St. Augustine grass had winter kill one year and uh, killed out, I don't know, five or 10 acres of St. Augustine grass in, in the villages. And somebody went in and put in zoysia grass said, okay, well, it won't, it won't experience the same level of winter kill that, that St. Augustine grass can, which is probably true. But then you put it in and it's being managed by the same people that are managing the St. Augustine grass. They don't know how to manage zoysia grass. It's a completely different turf grass and different management practices, everything. I mean, that that's one of the problems. I don't necessarily have a problem with the plant. It's just people, it's such a different management practice and people don't bother to learn how to manage it correctly okay so anyway i gotta get going i get moving i'll be here for two hours or not if i don't get moving quickly here okay 
First thing first, we're going to go into an article. Oftentimes, a, a periodical article. Oftentimes, I've noticed on um, in the lawn care community. I, I'm not real. I'm not knee deep into the lawn care community. I'm getting there. I, I'm, I've been busy in golf and sport turf most of my career. I did so. I did work in lawn care, um, but I didn't. I'm not real intimately knowledgeable of the lawn care social media space. And I, but I've noticed that there's a lot of YouTubers in, in lawn care who go on and say whatever they want to say on YouTube. And, um, I mean, most of it's piffle. It's silly. Um, it, but it doesn't seem to occur on YouTube or social media in the same rate as like golf does. Golf doesn't really participate or the golfers or, you know, the golf industry doesn't seem to really produce those same sort of social media um, pieces as a lawn care does. But what golf does do is in my opinion, even more dangerous is they will get involved with, hang on one second, hang on. Okay. I'm sorry. My son got up again. Um, but what golf will do, a lot of people will do is they will, um, get involved with the associations and, and, and participate in publications. So manufacturers, manufacturers and distributors, hang on a second. Honey, do you need, do you need, do you need Okay. We might get a special guest come over here and give me a hug. Good night. I don't know. Well, I guess not. <laughs> um, they'll get involved with associations and start printing things and, and authoring papers and, and documents in periodicals like magazines and things. And those can be very dangerous if you if you if you're not familiar with the literature. And this is an example of one of those. And what I want to do is walk through this this article that was printed in 2006. And the title of the article is "Bank on Microbes to Minimize Your Thatch Account." Okay, so we've been going over thatch for a long time. And we hopefully understand if you, if you haven't watched the videos or haven't listened to the podcast, go back and listen to the last, I don't know, eight or nine of them, whatever they were. And hopefully the theme of those is starting to sink in. And that is, um, lignin and the breakdown of lignin is the problem with thatch degradation in a bottle, basically. Okay. The breakdown of lignin is really only known to occur in any meaningful level by an enzyme termed named lacase or lycase. There's white rot fungi that produce these enzymes. And as of, as of now, the best knowledge that we have that that's the enzyme that we need to include, um, to break those, that lignin apart and really have an impact on thatch if you're going to use a bottle to do it. Um, and oftentimes you'll see products that are labeled as such like microbes and bugs in a jug and so forth. And we know now that those bugs in a jug, I can't say they won't do anything, but we know, or we, we you, I'm convinced, I don't know if you're convinced that those bugs in the jugs, I, 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 I'm not convinced, I should say I'm not convinced. I'm not convinced that they're going to do anything to thatch in terms of any meaningful reduction. Okay. Even if it was like lycase, it has to be a specific type of lycase with a certain um, level of uh, redox potential. And it, it has to be applied at a certain rate. And there's a very, it's not easy. 
is very, very difficult. Even when we kind of have a general idea what to do, it's still very difficult to have any confidence in reducing thatch from, from a bottle. And so when you read a, a, an article title like this, Bank on Microbes to Minimize Your Thatch, hopefully there's already a healthy dose of skepticism going on in your mind, right? Like, wait a second, microbes, bugs in a jug to minimize thatch. I heard, you know, Dr. Shaddix was going over these in his, on his channel. You know, I'm not saying what he's going to say is not true. It's just, I'm, I'm skeptical of whatever he's going to say, because we know from the literature that there's very little confidence and very few times we ever see a response to applying bugs in a jug on thatch reduction. I'm not going to read this whole thing <clears throat> um, because quite frankly, I don't think I can take it. it it's, it's, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's depressing. Let's just say that. Um, but basically let me, I'll just read the highlights. Um, Continuous continuous microbial activity assisted by regular aeration will result in an infrequent need for thatch reduction remedies. There are two categories of thatch reduction, preventative and curative. In the medium to long term, preventative is easier and far more cost efficient. Therefore, priority should be one continuous prevent, preventative thatch formation by microbial activity. Okay, so by microbial activity is what he's saying regular preventative thatch formation, aeration and verticutting, and then infrequent thatch curatives by mechanical removal of thatch and product and, and thatch eater products, the use of thatch eater products. Okay. So he's, he has microbial basically bugs in a jug and two of his things here, by the way, this was published in a journal in England called Greenkeeper international, or it was in the UK. I don't know if it was in England, but I think this was a, is a UK publication in the United Kingdom publication. Okay. So in the very beginning, he's talking about bugs in a jug. Okay. So the course of action, and so we're talking about preventative maintenance or preventive cures or whatever you want to call them. The course of action that will be most beneficial to thatch control will be firstly, look at, at, look after the microbes that already exist in the soil. Okay. So look after them, take care of them, you know, feed them, give them some soluble carbon, you know, give them some humic acid or something, you know, that's, it's always something like that. Regular and frequent aeration of the root zone to provide both oxygen. So aeration to provide oxygen to the microbes, not to, not to remove the thatch. Don't, don't air, you know, the aerification is in this, but it's not aerification to physically remove a portion of the thatch. It's to provide oxygen, which is fine, but provide oxygen for the microbes to break down the thatch. Avoid using fertilizers that will significantly decrease pH. Well, what if your pH is nine? Should you, I mean, shouldn't use a pH, shouldn't use a uh, ammonium sulfate to get it down into the sixes. If it's fives or sixes, that would, that would be fine. But what if it's, it's already high? Add a feed that will sustain microbial populations. So he's saying add, add a application in your fertilizer program that would sustain microbial populations. Now we know from Dr. Cedar's conversation with me. That's one of the major problems is maintaining a microbial population high enough to break it down. Not just the microbial population, but the specific microbe population that's capable of breaking down lignin. That's the difficulty. It's extremely difficult to do that. Verticut uh, turf and growing seed. So he says verticut. Aerate and aids microbial action. So it's all about the microbes. Secondly, take every opportunity to supplement microbial populations. <laughs> a fertilizer with or, with an organic rather than a mineral base 
can be used to inoculate soils with short-term populations of microbes that can not only assist in thatch breakdown, but allow fertilizers to function more effectively. I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to wrap all this up real quick here, but I'm going to come back to this. Good quality biological fertilizers will, will not significantly alter organic matter profile of a rooting zone. So he's saying use the, micro, the, the, the organic fertilizer to help the microbes, but adding the organic content from the organic fertilizer isn't going to cause a problem in terms of increasing the organic matter in the profile. How do it know? How do it know? Should that already be a problem, then a curative course of action should be identified and start to rem uh, remedy the causes of the problem. Usually too little aeration, low microbial life, again microbes. When appropriate, remove thatch mechanically, okay? Apply curative products that will speed up microbial action on the thatch layer. So again, microbial action. It's all about the microbes. I'm not going to read the rest of this, even though I have it green uh, in green. Basically, it's all more nonsense about microbes. Conclusions. A preventative incoming thatch by promoting... Uh, pre uh, prevent incoming thatch by promoting conditions beneficial to microbial soil activities. Another micro, another micro. Few fully utilize all mechanical aeration practices to enhance natural thatch breakdown. So that would be give me microbes because there's nothing natural about aeration, you know, mechanical aeration. So he's saying mechanically aerate to for the na nature to take care of itself by using the microbes. Apply microbial amendments in either preventative or curative forms as appropriate. If you generate and enhance your own microbial population, this will keep your thatch bank account in a lean and healthy condition, which will pay dividends in the future. Now, all about the microbes for breaking down thatch, which is true. I mean, microbes can break down thatch. But the problem is, is that we're not, when I'm not interested, this is again, a this is probably just a, a huge dose of ignorance on, on this author's part. I don't know. Um, but it's also a type of straw man where uh, we know now or hope we know now that it is a specific type of microbe that can do it. It is an enzyme from that microbe called lycase that is generally known to enhance thatch breakdown. Other ones have, there's hit and miss. Most of the time it's a miss on any bugs in a jug product. Most of the time it doesn't work. Every now and then you might find one article that shows something might've happened, uh, but most of the time it doesn't happen. So we know that. Um, so he's, forming an argument or forming a, a trying to convince you of something using what seems to be a good position like microbes because we know microbes actually this particular my white rot fungi can do it but that's not the argument that's not the position right he's he, there's there, there's they're trying to distract you and convince you that you know this will work micro you know feeding the food feeding the microbes sorry feeding adding microbes will ha will help um and um so it's, it's, it's a type of straw man. So if you look down here and it says the author is a man named Hugh Frost. Hugh Frost advise, advises you to look after your microbial population in the soil so they will assist you with your thatch control. Hugh Frost. Hugh Frost works for a company called, or worked for a company called Novozymes Biologicals. Now, where have we heard Novozymes Biologicals before? Anybody remember? Two, two or three documents ago that we went over we went over a product i think it was called um thatchless i don't want to get it wrong sorry if i got that wrong but it was a it was a bugs in a jug that novazyme uh manufactures so this was published in 2006 at the same time that this was being written this piffle this this um 
Oh, yes. one, one of these days when I get comfortable enough, I'm really going to tell you what I think about this stuff. <laughs> right now I'm trying to be professional, trying to be kind. I keep thinking back to my therapy, you know, let's, let's be polite. We're all, I'm, you know, I'm a humanist. I want to, you know, be empathetic and be kind, <laughs> but sooner or later, you're going to catch me on one of these, one of these shows. I'm just going to go off. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> At the same time this was being published, this nonsense was being printed and probably convinced some people to buy it. At the exact same time, just a little bit outside of um, the UK, in Norway, a study was being conducted. We went over part of the study on a published uh, referee publication just a day or two ago. In, in, uh, they were also doing more work on this particular project, and it's called Evaluation of Biological Product Thatchless as very, at Various Soil Temperatures. Now, this is a document published by, this is on page 39, okay, uh, and Bioforce Report. Now, this is, uh, these are the same authors. These are the same authors from the publication we just printed, or we just went over a couple days ago. And this was a report that is published through this Scandinavian Turfgrass Environmental Research Foundation. It's called Winter Hardiness and Management of Velvet Bent Grass on Putting Greens in Northern Environments. And part of this study, multiple study, um, was... Number six here, evaluation of biological product thatchless at various soil temperatures. Okay, that was, there's there are many things they looked at, but this was one of the studies they evaluated. We're going to go back down to page 39, and we see right here, evaluation of biological products thatchless. Thatchless right here, as described in chapter four of this report, the biological product thatchless, 2006 Novozymes Biologicals. So the author of the prior periodical, the junk, printed was an employee of a company that makes bugs in a jug. And the reason I mention that is, is because that is oftentimes what golf will do. The golf industry, they don't go to YouTube like, like lawn care YouTubers do and just say whatever they want to say. They'll do it in a much more clever way. Their deceit is very clever. They'll, they'll, they'll go to a document they'll go to a publication like this and they'll have a very formal you know, this, pre, this 2006 publication of a very formal presentation, a very official looking document, bank on microbes. And it probably was in a magazine. This, I don't know this Greenkeeper International magazine, but it's probably a very nice looking magazine. It's probably associated with the um, golf superintendents in that area, probably. And that can be very convincing. If you see it in your own magazine, that's supposedly a very reputable association. It can be very convincing. That is, that is dangerous in my opinion, but let's see what was going on at the same time when that was being printed, they were doing studies on it. This, 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 um, Scandinavian turf environmental research foundation, and you can go through here and read what they were doing. And I'm going to read, you can, I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but they pulled cores. You can see them pulling cores out of the velvet bent grass. They were measuring thatch in the lab with these various cores. And I just want to go down to the results. You can read that. If you want to, you want to, you can go download this. You, you have the article. You can rewind it and find the title and go find it yourself. It's free. Now let's look what happened. The microbial in, in this, they did various, they, they grew fungi and bacteria on various auger media and nothing happened with the, with the fun uh, the, the, the fungi at three and six months on this PDA auger on the C on the, uh, the CA auger was, was a cellulose auger, the cellulose auger. There was an increase in some fungi um, using their product. There's this thatch, thatchless product. There was some increase in fungi using the 
the cellulose auger, there was a reduction in bacteria at three months using the GGA auger, and there was nothing happened at three months, and there was nothing happened at six months or at three or six months with the with the cellulose auger. So there was a reduction in bacteria and an increase in fungi. So, and then the rest of the time, nothing happened. Call it a wash. Okay, now let's go see what happens with the thatch. This is this is where I'm 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 telling you I'm gonna lose <laughs> I'm gonna lose my cool here. I'm telling you. I love stuff like this though. It's fantastic. There, I mean, you have to understand. I go about my day. I was outside grinding off polyurethane foam this afternoon, and I'm just thinking, thinking. I was like, man, and then I, I mean, it's just routine stuff. And then I find something like this, and I'm just like, oh, it's so, it's so good. I love researchers. <laughs> this is the thickness and organic matter content of thatch layers as affected by application rate, temperature, and duration of incubation. And what we find on this is the unsprayed control application rates. We have um, 100 milliliters and 500 milliliters per hundred per R per hundred square meters. And we have thatch thickness at three months and thatch, th thatch thickness at six months. The organic, we'll just go to the organic matter, um, organic matter. There was no difference. The organic matter and thatch, there was no difference. That's easy. At, at three months, there was no difference in the thatch thickness. But there was a difference at six months. The thatch thickness was different between the untreated and the, and the thatchless product. Let's look at it. At six months, the thatchless product resulted in an increase in thatch. Okay. Just the other day, it was yesterday. It might have been yesterday, the day before yesterday. I can't remember. There was another study that we looked at from, I think it was a different author, where that study, oh, it was the, uh, the, the uh, McCarty and, um, and uh, Greg paper and the Toller paper. That study resulted in a 12% increase in thatch from their product, their biological product. Okay, now this isn't a refereed paper as far as I know. This is probably just an internal um, a research report from this association. But nonetheless, there's a there was a refereed paper yesterday showing it increased thatch thickness. There's a paper here showing that the thatchless product that we just looked at a report from, from a, someone that works for the company, and this product's supposed to reduce thatch, and it results in either no reduction in thatch or an increase in thatch. <sighs> this, this is, I mean, the, the, the turf grass industry is so polluted with piffle it, it's depressing we, we have to arm ourselves with knowledge guys and gals we have to you're being bombarded with bs okay and, and it's so common nowadays you just you hardly even think about it anymore you just you just so saturated with it and it's become just common 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 stance it just happens all the time but if you take a minute or two to learn critical thinking and to maybe get a fundamental understanding of the systems, you can really protect yourself from losing a ton of money. Okay. And, and in fact, in this case, you're losing money and you're, in, you're increasing the problem. You're increasing your thatch when you're applying a product that you, you were uh, told would reduce it. And I can tell you right now, there's probably dozens and dozens of superintendents that would email me or call me and say, oh, I use that product and it reduced it. I used it and it helps and it reduces it, you know. 
All I can tell you is the data says differently. Okay. When we, when we balance things out and we manage what we can manage and we look at just that, we, we find very little, if anything ever happens with these biologicals, sometimes they might show a reduction, but sometimes and probably equal number of times they show an increase in thatch. Okay, guys. So please, please be careful with this nonsense. <clears throat> okay, I'm trying to keep track of the of the chat here. Let me see if there's anything interesting here. Okay, good to know, Chuck. I've not said Chuck says Ringer's lawn lawn restore was one of the first products I used 30 years ago. It was mentioned before this thatch discussion. At the time, I had no idea of MSU Spartan Connection. Oh, I'm not sure about that product, but yeah. Eric Sand says they're selling it wrong. They need to convince golfers that playing on thicker thatch is what they really want. <laughs> well, that would solve the golf putting green problem, I guess, with thatch. So now let's take a look at what happens in the world of lawn care In lawn care. We don't, we oftentimes don't have such, you know, pretty little official looking manuscripts. I came across a, a video. It seems, I think it's like four years old or five years old. I don't know who this is. It's an old video. I'm sure you guys have seen it, but it, it has a product called, um, it's another dethatch product. And the reason I'm, I mentioned that I'm trying to get everything in between today and tomorrow because that's it on thatch for a long time. I, I need to maintain my sanity. And quite, quite frankly, there's nothing really new. I mean, there's no, there's no magical cure guys. Okay. Even mechanical removal, it sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't. So you mean tell me bugs in a jug or this product dethatch is going to work. Give me a break. So let's listen to this video and see what this gentleman has to say. I've skipped through the first two minutes and 30 seconds. He has some horrible jokes and just shows him spraying stuff and it was boring. So I fast, I moved it to, to, to the important part. Let's, uh, I'll watch this and I'll come back and explain it. Dethatch thatch digester. Let's dive into it. Let's chapter and verse talk about what it is, how to use it, and answer some of the questions that all of you threw my way on that community post that I made a few weeks ago. It's a soil and microbe food and it contains a live biological for the purposes of aiding in digestion of thatch. It's designed to work from the soil level up, speeding up the process of breaking down those clippings and turning them into fertilizer and organic matter. You've okay, so um, he made some claims there, which are fine. You can make whatever claim you want. Um, said it's it's a purpose of microbe food basically to break down thatch. But he also said if you caught it um, right right before I paused it, he's talking about uh, managing the clippings and breaking down clippings. Let me rewind it just a little bit. Logical for the purposes of aiding in digestion of thatch. It's designed okay. to work from the soil level up, speeding up the process of breaking down those clippings and turning them into fertilizer and organic matter. Breaking down the clippings. Now, as we've talked about and as the data has shown cellulose and hemicellulose that is in clippings it dominates the clippings and the content there's very little lignin relative to the stems and the rhizomes and the stolons i'm not worried about the clippings breaking down they're going to break down on their own guys okay 
they're going to break down on their own. I don't need to buy something and put it out to, to break down the, the leaves. The leaves do not, in, in general, the leaves do not contribute to thatch production. And the reason is, is because they break down so quickly compared to the rhizomes and stolons. Okay. So you should know, I hope now is that when you hear that, oh, it breaks down clippings. I don't care. Just goes right in one ear and out the other. doesn't bother me at all. So what? I don't care. <laughs> so that doesn't convince me. I hope it doesn't convince you when he's talking about feeding the microbes. It's microbe food. And it probably is microbe food. I don't know what's in this particular product, but um, it, any sort of soluble carbon is very likely going to inflate the microbial population. Not worried about that either. What I'm interested in is the inflation of a specific microbe and then the maintenance of that elevated level of that specific microbe. Then um, I, I say, okay, well, there's a possibility if that's the case, but I still want to see it. I still want to see how that is going to result in a reduction in thatch thickness or density or mass or whatever. Okay, let's continue. You've got simple and complex carbs. You've got yeast, you've got urea, you've got humic acid in there, all working together to help speed up and accelerate that decay process. This guy's a good salesman. You know, if I, if I had a company, I was selling stuff. I think I'd want him working for me, <laughs> but listen to what he says. He has about the nitrogen source. Complex carbs. You've got yeast, you've got urea. He's got urea. Now I don't know what's in this product. I guess I could pull the label up, but he's saying urea is in the product. Keep that in mind. You've got humic acid in there, all working together to help speed up and accelerate that decay process. So he's, again, he's talking about basically hyperinflating the activity of biologicals and breaking down the thatch. You can inflate every microbe. If it doesn't inflate the right one, or if the right one's just not in the soil at that time, or the population doesn't you know, increase at the same rate as the other ones, it doesn't matter. Okay. We need a very specific microbe. One thing that you might notice after applying dethatch is a green up. And that yeah, you applied urea. I, again, I don't know if that's even in the product, and I don't even know how much urea you would apply at the labeled rate. I don't know. But when you have a product you're applying that contains nitrogen, assuming that you're applying it at a, you know, a rate that is, you know, one, assuming that your turf is probably a little deficient in nitrogen, and you're applying it at a rate that you see a response, you're probably going to see a response. <laughs> I mean, it has nitrogen in it. That's because the bacteria is going to work freeing up any kind of locked up nutrients that's in that decaying matter. Now, that, that's just a complete claim. It's just pure speculation. I don't know this gentleman. He might be a, a microbial biologist in publications out galore. He maybe had 200 publications on microbial ecology. I have no clue what this guy knows and doesn't know. But what I, what I am not convinced of is that any response would come from the breakdown of the leaf clippings as a result of applying this product when the product contains a nitrogen source. Occam's razor would tell you the likelihood is probably because you're applying nitrogen, not because the product is somehow hastening the breakdown of clippings and then the release of the, the nutrients in those clippings is what's resulting in the response. That's probably not what's going on. But who do I know? What do I know? This guy might be a tenured professor and, you know, you know, I don't know. But what, I, what I'm saying is the likelihood, what's the most reasonable, the most simplest answer is probably because you're applying nitrogen.
Pretty simple. One of the biggest benefits to dethatch is you're gonna help aid in breaking down thatch layers in lawns that you probably can't mechanically dethatch because of the cultivar or the time of season. So you're increasing the microbial activity to help break down that thatch. You don't know that. I can, as someone who has, who has dealt with microbial uh, research, I had a grant through, at, at the University of Florida, I had a grant through the Southwest Water Management, Southwest Florida Water Management District, Swift Mud. And we were looking at uh, basically denitrification uh, ponds, basically retention ponds. We were trying to figure out a way to increase denitrification in out of like uh, reclaimed water so that it wouldn't leach through. That's what they were looking at doing, and they were looking at doing it through applying different carbon sources. The different carbon source. The idea was the different carbon sources would inflate these denitrifying bacteria and in turn denitrify the nitrogen before it got leached through into the water, into the aquifer. And indeed that did happen. We, and, and I'm just as someone who deals with, who has very little knowledge of microbial activity, but did a grant on it. What did I do? I have I don't have the first idea of what's going on in microbial activity. So what did I do? I went and got a microbial ecologist and put him on a freaking grant. And had him do it because in, in, in when he went in and actually started measuring the microbial populations, I watched him do it. And I'm like, dang, that ain't easy. <laughs> you got these kits. The, each kit is like 500 bucks a pop. It's not it's not cheap. And, but he was able to show the microbial populations were inflated as a result of the carbon source that I was applying. So it can happen. But I'm what I'm saying is I know how hard it is to actually measure that. And I'm betting he didn't measure it. So there's no reason to believe him. Layer at the soil surface and you're increasing heat. And that's why we say heat helps dethatch do its job. Once you get that heat going on in the thatch layer, it's going to break that material down, releasing it as a food source for your turf. So he's talking about heat. And earlier in the video, he had this little phone out and he's in the phone said it was 95 degrees. Um, the, the PDF that I had up, I'll bring it back up here has, would you know it heat? So on this document right down here, it has temperature four degrees down to 26 degrees. So this is around 80, something like that, 80 degrees Fahrenheit. And he, his temperature in that day was 95. He had his phone out and Siri told him the temperature or something. So I'm going to put the little F here. This is hard to write on this thing. Okay. And look what happens to the temperature, the activity, or this is the thatch. The thatch is not influenced. The, uh, the, the temperature here, I'm sorry, this is the temperature here. And the, the activity of these fungi or the number, I'm sorry, the number of fungi go down with heat. Once, once, once it gets too hot, the fungi die. Same thing. Look at bacteria. The bacteria populations are going down all across the board in these, in these augers. So the, if it gets, if this is at up to 80 degrees, this is basically like from say 40 degrees up to 80 degrees and they're increasing in temperature from 40 to 80. And you see the fungi across the board, fungi, bacteria are, they're fewer as it gets hotter and the thatch thickness didn't change with this particular, but now this particular product had no influence at all. It actually went up whenever they applied the product. But the temperature in this particular case had no influence on it. 
Okay. And what he's saying is it's hot. So it's going to, our product's going to get it warm in that soil and it's going to really break down that thatch. Well, you know, this is not his product granted, but I, there's this, this has no influence on, on the temperature in this particular study showed that there was no impact of temperature. The results show that there was no impact of temperature on, um, on the thickness here. Okay. There's no, there's no significant difference here. And there, what I'm looking at is this, this one here and this one here between four and in 26 degrees Celsius. Okay. So that much, much of nonsense. Let me, let's continue. I think there's another minute. So we tell people to add this into their fertility programs, especially during the summer months. So June, July, August, and maybe even September, the rates that you're going to use are going to be six to nine ounces per thousand square feet every three weeks, depending on the thatch thickness that you have going on in your turf. And just like the other. Okay. So I'm not going to continue that, but basically just more, more, uh, propaganda. The reason I'm saying this is not to beat up on this guy. I don't know this guy. I mean, he might be the greatest guy in the world for all I know. Um, like I said, if I was selling something, I'd want him on my, on my team because <laughs> I can't do that. I can't speak that eloquently with that much, you know, excitement in my voice. Um, but my point is, is that in lawn care, oftentimes I've noticed, maybe I'm wrong, but it just seems like I've noticed they have a pretty big footprint on YouTube and in social media compared to golf. And, but this is the way they'll do it in, 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 um, lawn care. It seems like is that they'll come on YouTube and they'll really talk about, you know, all this stuff. Whereas in golf, I don't see it that much. And I think it's much more dangerous in golf because it seems more official, you know, really seem when they put something in paper and it really seems like it's just some substance to it. You still have to do a little bit of research. You still have to look it up and find what is the evidence? You know, what, who, is there any evidence to support this? Even if it's printed in a periodical, that's kind of my point there. Um, Chuck Benzing said, let, let go of and say, Oh, I don't know. Castleberry came over to, to the good side. Oh, castle. Oh, is that the guys? Tanner Moore says Castleberry came over to the good side. I, I, so I'm assuming that was the gentleman's name. Castleberry. I, I don't, I, I, you have to, I'm, I don't know any of these people. I, I don't know. Maybe he left the company. I don't know. Um, clipping Brent clippings don't contribute to thatch is on my invoices. I don't, Oh, is that you have it stamped on your invoice? You're kidding me. That's you have that quote on your invoices to your customers, Brent. That's genius. <laughs> That's genius. That's great. I like that. Clippings don't contribute to, to thatch. If you do, if that's what you're doing, pure genius. If you're not doing it, do it. Clippings don't contribute to thatch. Now, within reason, if you go out and dump out 12 inches of clippings on there, it's going to take a long time to break down. That's genius, Brent. I like that. You have to understand, I've been in another industry for so long. I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with a lot of lawn care stuff, so I'm learning. Um, <clears throat> Wayne says in his career, he is often the voice of different companies. One, one was do your own and this is green County. So he is, he speaks from a script that is provided. Oh, oh, okay. So this was probably just like the spokesman or the, the, not the actor, but maybe he's hired to do that. So, okay. Yeah. I don't you have to understand. I don't have any ill will or anything bad to say about the people, the human being themselves. I'm a okay with it. No, no problem. One way or the other, even if, you know, if they're fleecing us and they're, you know, intentionally de deceiving us, that's, you know, as a human, I'm fine with them as a human being, as a person, I, I am fine with that. 
but it's the it's the claim and the content that they're um, using to convince um, what I believe to be a, a very good industry, convince the people in our industry to engage in certain management practices that aren't um, supported by evidence. That's what I have a problem with. Um, let's see. Oh, Super TA says the same thing. Decided to leave for the right reasons. Okay. He's one of us now. So, okay. Yeah, don't, 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 please don't, um, I just said it, but please don't uh, get confused about what I'm showing. This is not about the person. Okay. I don't target people. I don't attack people. I love people. I love humans. I'm a human and, and I see you as equal to me in that regard. And, and oftentimes whenever people are confused, I just look at that as an opportunity to help them, maybe help guide them and help them maybe put the pieces together. Um, but it's the, it's the, it's the impact of their claim is that is what I'm um, particularly interested in trying to, um, trying to help my industry by providing the evidence to, to either support their claim or refute their claim. One or the other. <clears throat> okay. Okay. I gotta get, okay. I gotta get going. So, okay, let's go on to the, I still got a research article doing. I'm not, it's nine fifty. I told you it's going to be a late one. So this one's, a, this one's an interesting article. I'll just say that. Okay. There's two of these articles and, um, they're very similar. Let me get it open here. Okay. Okay. I got everything in order now. Let's bring it up. Okay. Today's article is entitled evaluating biological thatch control on zoysia matrella golf greens. This is by the McCarty team over in South Carolina. And this is in what I'm, uh, whatever I'm just going to say, this, this is in a journal that I would consider to be the garbage disposal of turfgrass journals. It, it's the lowest tier journal that I can even think of. That's a turf related journal and it's not in, there's no impact factor. It's, I wouldn't consider, it's not refereed in my opinion. I, there's so much stuff that gets thrown in this journal. It's just, a, it's just a, everything that gets rejected from other journals or anything that's not particularly robust just gets thrown into this journal as sort of like just a garbage heap of what's left over. It doesn't mean that you won't find some little nuggets of gold in here. That's, that's not, that's not the case. I have, I have one or two publications in this journal, uh, but generally once we'll, when we have some good work, we'll pub, we'll try to publish it in crop science or an agronomy journal, whatever. And if it gets rejected, then we'll try to find lower tier journals. And this is the bottom of the heap. <laughs> really, it really is. It's only published every, every four years. Oftentimes people will just put a publication in there. So they get an excuse to use research funds to travel to China or Brazil or wherever the meeting is being held that year. And, um, so this is not a very good, good journal. And I'm going to go over the journals in a, in a week or two and explain, you know, what level of competence you should have based upon the journal that it's in. It doesn't mean well, you could have an article in this journal. That's a hundred percent accurate and great journal or great article. But if it's in this journal, my confidence is automatically starting at a very, very low level compared to say crop science. Okay. And again, it doesn't mean it's not true. It doesn't mean that it's not valid. Hang on a second, guys. I'm sorry. One second. Okay. Let's see if I can get through this. Sorry about that. I'm back. Uh, where was I? 
Oh, I was talking about the journal. So, you know, it doesn't mean that the, the article is not valid. It could be completely valid. I'm just saying that because of the journal that it's in, or the article's, the article's, not, article's not valid. It could be completely valid. But being the journal that it's in, I don't have a lot of confidence in it. Let's get, let's get into it. We'll, we'll talk more about it as we go. He's going to talk about the introduction and, and, um, about thatch and all the, you know, what it is and all the problems associated with it. If we're not familiar with that, basically thatch can help, can help thatch can cause problems with water movement down. It can cause problems with, with, uh, shoot, uh, uh exposure to light upwards. And it basically, if it's being generated quicker than it degrades, it can build up different, um, different turf grasses have different, um, propensities, I guess, to build up thatch. Tucker, McCarty, Lou, and Wells, and Reich, Reich, whatever, I can't remember that, noted the use of biostimulants did not influence thatch layer depth in Tiff Eagle hybrid munigrass in 2006. Now, I haven't gone over that paper, but he's saying that this team didn't find anything um, with these biostimulants in 2006. I highlighted this one in yellow because it's not a citation. This was like some sort of other report. But McCarty in 2016 reported a minimal reduction of thatch and organic matter on, on Bermuda grass with the use of biostimulants. This wasn't a refereed paper, though. Bernd Gasson and Vargas, we went over this. Oh, no, we didn't go over the 14 paper yet. They applied cellulase as a biological control to hybrid Bermuda grass and observed a short-term reduction but didn't notice anything in the long run. In the long run. So basically, you're talking about there's sometimes... Something might kind of happen, sort of questionable. Most of the time, we find nothing happens. And he says, the objective of this research was to determine if two biostimulant bio products, a liquid vermicompost extract marketed as worm powder, I'm sorry, worm power, and a liquid humate derivative marketed as Earthmax, provide, provided non-mechanical thatch reduction on zoysia grass. Uh, oh, it's diamond zoysia grass, putting green. By studying the effects of root depth, root mass, thatch thickness, thatch weight, turf quality, and NDVI, and surface firmness. So they measured all the stuff on zoysia grass, putting green. So uh, let's see. So they also used blackstrap molasses, and it's thought to provide a carbon source for microbial growth, which in turn enhances their capability of decomposing thatch. So again, that same concept of giving it soluble carbon, which I don't think you'll, you're going to find a microbial ecologist or microbiologist that's going to deny that, you know, if you're applying a product that has soluble carbon in it, then you're very likely going to increase the microbial population. It's just whether or not you increase that specific microbial population and you sustain that elevated population. The label of one commercial molasses product claims molasses reduces thatch by a carbohydrate energy source that feeds soil microorganisms and increases microbial activity. With continued applications, blackstrap molasses encourages a soil environment that helps reduce thatch. Now, as far back as the 60s, at least 67, they've looked at sucrose and glucose and other sugars and found nothing. Okay, doesn't mean we won't find something in the future, but they've they, these sugars have been looked at. And pretty much across the board, it's nothing really happens. Okay, there's not a, not been really any compelling evidence to say yes. Let's do that. That's something we should include in BMP practices. 
So, but they did include this blackstrap molasses in this study and it'll become important. What did they do? Two, two 16 week field trials. So two four month trials were conducted from May to September in 2018. And then it was replicated in May, 2019. They did it at Walker golf course at Clemson university. Yeah. And the same location was used. Okay. So the treatments and application frequencies are presented in table one. And I'll read that for those people listening in table one, we have, uh, we have warm power and the rates. I'm not going to go through all these rates cause they're in SI units, but they applied warm power monthly. They applied earth max monthly. And then they also did it every two weeks. So they split the rate and did it every two weeks or they did it monthly. They did the molasses weekly and then they did top dressing every two weeks and then they had a non-treated for my science friends out there. Stop using the phrase untreated, start using the, the phrase non-treated untreated implies that you did something and then you undid it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, okay. What's next? Core aeration was performed using uh, half inch tines with one inch by one inch spacing on June 25th. And talk about that. This uh, following this aeration, the green was top. So they did some aeration and they did some top dressing, basic general maintenance. Um, oh, here's my, um, my, my Washington DC wife tonight. Application rates for the two biostimulants were derived from the product label. So they pride the, the biostimulants by, by, uh, based on the product label. For the top dressing treatment, sand meeting, sand meeting USGA specific, specification was uniformly applied. as pretty common. For the molasses treatment, a commercial formulation of blackstrap molasses was applied at this particular rate weekly for a total of 16 applications. So they did it every week for 16 weeks. Measurements. They did turf quality. They did NDVI, which I'm going to talk about here in the next month or so. And I'm going to talk about it in this paper because he has a sentence in here that I disagree with. They did surface firmness, turf grass, rooting length, rooting weight, thatch thickness, and thatch weight. So they had a lot of measurements. They did. They had a lot of metrics that they did to, to, you know, evaluate their impact, the treatment's impact. Turf quality was on one to 10 with seven as being the minimal acceptable NDVI. No. Um, I thought I highlighted something. Oh, I did. Okay. I highlighted down there. So NDVI, if you're not familiar with NDVI, the normalized difference vegetation index, what it is, is it's a, well, here it is right here. It's a measure of the near infrared and, and red light. It's a basically a, uh, I don't know what the phrase is, but they, you're, you're measuring the reflectance back on an instrument, you shoot some, uh, light at the grass and it measures the reflectance. And it's basically measuring the natural green color is sort of the layman's way of, of explaining what NDVI is. And it's an objective measurement of the greenness of the grass. Okay. However, I don't have much confidence in it because I've ran numerous, numerous correlations. I guess it'd be regressions, whatever. And it's all over creation when it comes to their, their relationship. Surface firmness was determined with a clay hammer. If you're not familiar with a clay hammer, it's basically a big pipe with a tube and with a little uh, pellet in the middle of it. And it heavy and it drops through the tube and hits the ground, measures the force that it hits in gravities. And it gives you a, Oh, here it is. G max. 
It gives you an idea of how firm the surface what it was. And it's very, very consistent. It's very probably the most reliable way of measuring firmness. Turf grass roots at the steady initiation the, uh, and completion, thatch thickness was measured with a ruler, as we know from a prior um, publication. The thatch thickness using a ruler or a caliper is a very consistent and reliable um, and, and precise way of, of measuring thatch, thatch thickness. Root weight was determined using uh, uh, weight loss on ignition. The thatch weight was also measured using weight loss on ignition. Weight loss on ignition is very variable from that same study that I showed weeks ago. That weight loss on ignition can be greatly variable. And, you know, it's not that I don't have confidence in it. It's fine. But, uh, you know, when you're measuring thatch, the most consistent, reliable method is the depth by ruler. And then everything else is, is oftentimes needed, but I have less confidence in it. Results in discussion, no statistical difference was observed for turf quality, NDVI, or surface firmness. So none of these had any, any impact. So we're going to listen right here. You can see the tables. Turf quality, NDVI, and surface firmness for all these years and all these products, all of these are A's. Okay, so none of the products had any effect on the, on the NDVI, let's call it color. Turf grass quality was all the same, and they were always acceptable, or the, and the firmness was always the same. Nothing happened. So if you're going to measure, and this is one reason why the Volk thatch meter doesn't really work, because if you're going to see a difference on uh, thatch using the thatch meter, you have to compress it. You have to compress the thatch. And this firmness was the same across everything. There was no impact on the firmness. Now let's read this little yellow thing, because I'm going to come back. I just, I'm going to come back to this in months. I don't know when, but. It says, the NDVI is highly correlated with turf quality. As such, the range values of 0.7 to 0 0.72, 0.70 to 0.72 indicate acceptable turf grass. I do not agree with that statement at all. And they used Lori's paper here with Bob and Ronnie, 1999. I think that was on Paz Palum. I think they did that on relationship. Uh, okay, I don't know if that's that. I don't know if that was on past Palin or what, but I don't agree with that. And there is there is plenty of evidence to support my statement. And I'm going to show an entire publication on just NDVI that will hopefully convince you too. So if you ever have an, you probably don't have an instrument to do it. There are thousands of dollars, and you shoot the light at it, and it says, "Oh, the green, the grass is 0.7 or 0.72 or whatever." then you should say, oh, okay, well, it's acceptable and move on. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm not in favor of that. I don't agree with it. I've seen plenty of good grass, less than 0.7. And I've seen plenty of bad grass greater than 0.72. And how would that be? Well, the, the bad grass was shooting 0.75 and it was full of weeds and the weeds were dark green and it was giving it a green color. So the turf grass quality was crap because it had a lot of weeds in it. But you wouldn't be able to know that from a reflection of light because the light's going to reflect off the weed just as much as, well, not just as much, but it's going to reflect off the weed just like the turf grass. So I'm not in favor of this technique until somebody can convince me that consistently it's going to give you a value that you can interpret. All right. That's a little bit off topic. Turf grass rooting length. In year one, EarthMax provided an increase in root length over black strap molasses and the non-treated control. This also held true in year two. So basically the root length and root weight, you're going to find that, uh, is it root weight or root? Just root length. So, oh no, root weight. 
root length. Yeah, so root length, and then here in root in the second year, root weight, you're going to find that this product Earth Max is going to have an impact on roots. <clears throat> okay, these two products right here are going to have an impact, showing an increase in in roots, uh, the root length in the first year, nothing in the second year, and then root length and root weight in the second year. So I don't know if I said that backwards. Root length, I'm sorry, root length in the first year, and then root length and root weight in the second year. Now, when I see this, something like this, when I'm when I know this particular product is is comes from a from a I think it comes from peat, but basically it's a, it's a, a humic acid sort of product, humic product. And I see it and I see it having an impact impact on roots, increasing root length or root mass. Immediately, I'm thinking phosphorus is something potentially with phosphorus is going on, not necessarily the actual humic whatever. And I'm going to show you what I'm talking about here in a second. Okay, here in a minute or two. All right, because there's nothing particularly this humic thing with its carbon and whatever else, whatever other nonsense you want to throw at me, it's not really going to do much to roots. You know, there's no direct impact on roots. They've been buying carbon it might be an indirect impact, but when you're seeing a, uh, an impact on root length in one year and the other, and then in the second year, and then you see an impact on root weight in the second year, I'm thinking of a phosphorus because phosphorus will have a, an impact on roots. And this hodgepodge conglomeration of a product is very likely going to have phosphorus in it. And I'm going to show you that in a second. But that's what I'm thinking. Okay, so uh, I'm not going to go through that. The turf weight. So turf thatch weight. So thatch weight. I'm just going to show it on the table. I'm not going to read through this whole thing. I'm just going to show it on the table. I don't think I can zoom in and still keep it. I can't. Okay. So basically what happened is I've highlighted the untreated in yellow. And I've highlighted in green the treatments that differed from the non-treated. And in the first year, root length from Earthmax 1 did, but Earthmax 2 didn't. Nothing else influenced root length. In the second year, we see Earthmax 1 again being the treatment that increased root length. All right. Nothing else did, as far as I can tell. Nothing else increased root length in the first year. So basically, nothing happened to the roots except for Earthmax 1 in the first year. When you go to, let's skip the root weight. No, let's go to, let's go and stay on root weight. On root weight, the blackstrap molasses increased root weight. Okay, in the first year. It also increased root weight in the second year. And the, 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 the all three of these prod, all four of these treatments increased root weight in the second year. All right. Compared to, compared to the non-treated. All right. So root weight has been, a, been in, uh, beneficially altered in the second year root weight. Now, when you go to thatch weight, you see an A and a B here, and you see an A and a B in every one, every one of these treatments. Nothing happened on any of these thatch uh, weight treatments in the first year. Nothing happened on any of these thatch weights in the second year. Okay, so none of the treatments had an impact on thatch weight at all. Just full stop. In the second year, I'm, I'm sorry, in the first year, the thatch thickness, we see an A and a B here, nothing affected the thatch thickness. 
Okay, so before I go on, in the first year, nothing affected the thatch weight. Nothing affected the thatch thickness compared to non-treated. So one whole year, nothing happened. In the second year, nothing affected the thatch weight, again, compared to non-treated. Nothing. But in the second year, the thatch thickness, we see a blackstrap molasses and this EarthMax applied, uh, I think that was a monthly treatment, resulted in a reduction in thatch thickness. So we have one year it did something, one year it, of the th with thatch thickness, one year it did something with thatch thickness, one year it didn't do anything with thatch thickness. Both years it didn't do anything with thatch weight at all. So you can see my, <laughs> my skepticism or my like, well, nothing really happened. I mean, it's one year you saw something, but one year you didn't. So how am I going to have any confidence if I'm going to spend my money, my, my own company margin dollars that I've gained from busting my tail trying to make a living. Now I have X number of dollars to design a program or your superintendent and you have a budget and you're like, okay, this is my budget. I have X number of dollars to, to spend. Should I spend it on this product or not? Well, one year it didn't do anything. One year it did. How, how, how will I know if it's going to do anything? I don't know if it's going to do anything. I don't have much confidence in it. Okay. And by the way, neither did the authors. And they're going to tell you here in a minute. By the way, this is one reason why I don't have much confidence in this, this, this journal. Articles in this journal. Mistakes are going to happen in every article. I've rarely read an article that's flawless. But mistakes like this that you're gonna, I'm gonna point out here are, I mean, come on, it's, it's too much. Um, notice the thickness of the thatch. The untreated is 34 in the first year and 32 in the second year. 32 what? 32 centimeters. It's a foot thick. I don't think so. <laughs> okay. This is an error. And it should be millimeters, I'm sure. I don't know. I didn't do the study. I don't. I didn't write the table. I don't know. But this probably should be millimeters, not centimeters. It, like I said, it's a, it's a junk journal, basically. This is this here is in centimeters. Okay, root length is in centimeters. This is in grams and grams. But this is, thatch thickness is in centimeters. Er, you know, errors are going to happen. Reviewers and editors are going to make mistakes. They're going to, they're going to oversee, they're going to miss things. But when you have it in crop science or agronomy journal or nature or science or these high impact factor journals, mistakes like this that are so obvious and get missed in these little journals, imagine all the other mistakes that get missed. And the, the, the big journals generally will have much more robust review process that catches a lot of these mistakes. So I'm just saying in a journal like this, where you see something as obvious as centimeters, when I'm assuming it should be millimeters, if that, if that gets missed, imagine all the other stuff that gets through that gets missed, right? So that's one reason why this particular journal is at the bottom of my list. When I, when I, I don't, in fact, I don't, I think the only reason I even sent something to this journal was years ago. I got something published in here, but I don't even really know why we sent anything here in, in the journal. Maybe it got rejected from another journal and I sent in this one. I don't even remember, but I don't consider this a refereed journal because they, they don't really reject anything. I shouldn't say that. I'm sure they reject something, but I mean, it's very well known in the turf grass science community that this journal, you just 
throw whatever you want to at it and it'll get in. Uh, okay, so I just explained the turf thatch thickness. I'm not going to go through it again. Okay, so that was what happened with the thatch thickness. But this is the nuts and bolts of the whole study. We're table three. Okay, guys. One year didn't do anything at all to thatch. The second year it didn't do anything to thatch weight. And it might have had something happen with the earth max and blackstrap molasses and the thatch thickness in the second year. All right. Let's go down here. So you see that result. That's what they that's what they found. I'm not going to argue that. That's what they found. I'm sure it's valid. But let's read what the authors say at the very end. The <clears throat> as with previous literature, it has been difficult to find clear differences among treatments as well as the finding differences that remain consistent between years. For this reason, it is difficult to say if the difference observed are based on treatment or if they are coincidental. In other words, we found this, but because, I mean, based on all the other literature, and we know it's so hit and miss, and most of it's a miss, we found something one year but not in the other. It's not easy for, the authors are saying, it's not really, we're not really that confident saying that this is actually what's going to happen. You know, it, it could have just happened by chance. Remember the P value, what was the P value they did this on? P, P value of 0.1. <laughs> okay. All right, guys. So usually in, in turf grass science, we use 0 0.05. And what that means is when I say something's different, there's a 5% chance that I'm wrong. Okay, there's a 95% chance that I'm right when I say a, treatment A, treatment one is different than treatment two. If I say they're different, what I'm really saying is I'm 95% confident that they're different. There's a 5% chance that I'm wrong, but with a 0.1 significant level, which is very uncommon in turf grass, they, they, we use 0.1 on things like surveys or things with a very high level of variability, but yet we want to determine if it's biologically significant or something. 0.1 is not commonly used. And what 0.1 means is there's a 10% chance that I'm wrong. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice 10 times, and one out of those 10 times I'm going to be wrong. Okay, that's pretty high, and that's generally too high in turfgrass science to accept. We don't accept a 10% signal, but then they, you know, it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but you know, you'll, you'll notice up here, it says 0 0.05, 0 0.05 significance level in this call in this table in table two, they use a 0 0.05 significance here and a 0 0.1 down here. If this was changed, I will, I wonder what would happen if they reran the data and used 0 0.05. Now I'm really skeptical. I wonder why point one was used. They maybe have said maybe they may have said that in the in the materials and methods. Let's see what they said on the stats. They don't say anything about oh, it says all statistical analysis were done using JMP and statistical significance were set at alpha equals point one. Well, in this table, here's another error, I guess. In this table it says 0.05. Anyway, the point is is that these authors at the, in the conclusions are saying it could just be by happenstance. In other words, we don't really know if that's what happened. We don't have so much confidence in the results that we can say, yes, this is those treatments caused that response or those treatments resulted in that response. And you're probably going to see it too. They say right here, 
For this reason, it is difficult to say if the differences observed are based on treatments or if it's just coincidental. In other words, there's a 10% chance that they're wrong. Okay. Clearly more work is required in this area as it is a potential game changer for the turf grass industry. This is very inappropriate language for a scientific journal. I don't know why they would allow that in, but again, it's a junk journal. And claims made regarding their effectiveness of, of bio, the effectiveness of biostimulants must be tested and proven, especially given other studies and data that have produced similar, similarly hard to reproduce results. So in other words, when we find something and we find a difference and they go, well, th this is what we found. We should, whoops, whoops, hold on, hold on. What's the wrong thing? We should be able to reproduce it. It's written in a way that we can go and redo re the study and hopefully find similar results. And what they're saying is, you know, other studies and other data, they, we can't really reproduce it. It doesn't seem to be consistent among years. And for that reason, we can't really confidently say if it's actually due to the treatment or if it's coincidental. Now, if the authors take the time to actually write that into an article, surely no one's going to pick that up, pick up the results and just run with it, right? No one's going to just, oh, wait, wait, there's, they showed a difference. I'm going to, I'm going to show, I'm going to show people that there's a difference and try to sell something off of these results. Even though the authors said, we don't really have much confidence in it. It could just be due to chance. No one would pick that up and just do it anyway, right? Hmm. Let's check this out. Earthmax is a product from Hawking, sold by Harold's, and it contains 1% humic acid derived from humus, and then 22% carbon derived from humus. So it's a humic product. Okay. And on their blog, they have a, they have a blog called Thatch Management in a Jug, and I'm going to reposition this so you can read it. Thatch management in a jug. See if I can get this on here. Might not be able to get it all on here. Okay. Thatch management jug. He, um, this is written by Jeff Atkinson. I think he was actually a student of uh, Burt McCarty's, I think. So he, he knows those authors and he goes through and explains thatch and da, 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 da. And <clears throat> they'll show these are the, this is the same study, the same, same data. Everything's the same. And he'll show the results. He didn't hide any results or anything. He didn't, he didn't cherry pick anything, which I'm glad Jeff that you didn't cherry pick anything out of here. Cause that's something I unfortunately encountered many times. Um, they showed this is what happened. Okay. At the end, he says, um, it says while not, this is a conclusion, while not a replacement for core aeration, cutting or top dressing, incorporating a material such as earth max or blackstrap molasses into a soil management program should be considered the benefit of a compost extract such as earth max or blackstrap molasses such as what's contained in soil enhancer has been demonstrated through research including the study above and if you're interested get a hold of them blah 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 so they have a marketing thing here on their blog trying to sell their product and they're using this research as a as a means to convince you now to jeff's credit here he was pretty soft with the language. He showed the results, which is more than most uh, most distributors will do. They show, he, he, most distributors will pull out just their product and show just their product rather than the other products. And he didn't do that. He actually showed all the products and he showed all the results. And then he says, 
you know, the benefits of compost, whatever is, you know, extracted it, have been demonstrated through research. Technically, he's correct. I mean, it was demonstrated in research that it could occur, but don't forget. Okay, we have to look at this whole thing, and that is, it was found in only one year and only under thatch thickness. And the authors state, we don't really know if it was from the treatment or if it was just by chance. Okay. And it was in a junk journal. If this was in crop science or agronomy journal, then we'd be talking a different story here. Okay. So it's in a, it's in a junk journal. It's, it, it only happened one year on just thickness. It didn't happen the first year. It didn't happen with thatched weight either year at all and it did have it but but it did have an influence on root weight so root weight i'm like hmm that shouldn't really do that but if it's going to have an impact on roots it's probably got some phosphorus in it i don't know but i'm sure it does it's just a like a mixture of stuff so what do i do i go well do humic acids have phosphorus in it? I'm pretty sure everything has phosphorus on it somewhere, but does it have it in any sort of level that would induce a response if you applied it? That's what I want to know. I mean, there's phosphorus all over creations everywhere. So you just go look it up. So you Google, how much phosphorus does humic acid have or humic acid phosphorus? So that's what I did. I went and looked it up. And here's an article from the Eurasian Soil Sciences. It says, the very first sentence in the abstract, humic acids contain 0.1 to 1.4 percent phosphorus <laughs> so it's got phosphorus in it probably okay so i'm like eh, i don't know let's look up another one so i go to i go to soul science Society of america and I, and I i search forms of liability of phosphorus forms and liability of phosphorus in humic acid fractions of a, of a horde silt loam soil and it says right here in the very first sentence of the abstract right here it says Phosphorus has long been known to be present in soil humic fractions. Okay. So the point is, is that if you use a little critical thinking and work your way through it, well, that product probably shouldn't really have an impact packed on roots if it's just a carbon source, but it is a mixture of stuff. So what does influence roots is probably phosphorus. Well, I don't know if it has phosphorus in it. Let's go look it up. Well, apparently it has phosphorus in it. Well, I wouldn't know until I, unless I digested it and actually ran it on a instrument to know if that specific product has phosphorus in it but it's known that humic acids have phosphorus in it okay so the question would really be not does that product result in an increase in root length which is this, this product did i mean the question is what is it in the product that's doing that because if it's just phosphorus i can apply phosphorus for a lot less money than humic acid right or is it the humic acid? Is it having some sort of response or dynamic interaction with other phosphorus in the soil and resulting in it becoming more available or more soluble? Okay, that can happen. Phosphorus and humic acids, there's a, it's immensely complex. Okay, and I don't know a lot about it, to be honest. But the point is, I'm not being skeptical and cynical just to be a contrarian. You know, I, I really want to know what's true because I'm protecting my money. I'm protecting, you know, my members money. I'm trying, I'm protecting my company's bottom dollar and whether or not it, I should spend it on this product or not needs to be based upon something other than a blog or a YouTube video or a periodical published in a greenskeeper magazine. Okay. We have to have some basic, you know, minimum level of, of 
knowledge in, in skepticism before, you know, we, in order to protect ourselves from this sort of, you know, misinformation. Okay. <clears throat> let me go to the thatch and um, let me go to the thatch. <laughs> let me go to the chat and see if there's anything um, interesting before I go. And like I said, uh, oh, before I do go, um, I will be here tomorrow at 10 a.m. and we'll have our last thatch paper for a while. And I keep forgetting to mention uh, all the articles, all the, the um, videos I've been doing are on your podcast platforms. If you're a podcaster and you like to listen to podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, um, usually it takes me a day or two to get this episode on the podcast platform. So like today I loaded yesterday's um, episode on today. So you can go there and um, listen. I noticed that the statistics on those, it, sh it seems like some people are actually wa are listening to those. There's been 90 or 100 downloads or something in the last couple of weeks or whatever. So um, if you are, if you prefer to listen to it on a podcast later or download it and listen to it wherever you're at, then you, know, you, you should be able to download it on any podcast platform that you prefer. Um, let me go to the chat and then I'll let you go. So I say the same to cuss. Oh, wait, he was... Oh, overwatering and overuse of in and organic matter. To, um, I'm sorry, I'm catching up on maybe this is chat you guys went through when I was going through it. I can't keep track of both. It's really hard. Super, super TA says, am I turf truth asking for a friend? Love how you're breaking all this content down. <laughs> I've, 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 if I had a nickel for every time I've answered that question. No, I'm not. <laughs> but I am, I am flattered that you think that a lot of people think that I know that much that the stuff that they've published over the years commercial break oh okay oh that was before the break okay trying to keep up with these acronyms uh, point one is under two standard deviation eric saying okay <clears throat> brent asks so if we make phosphorus more available with lime in 4.5 pH soils, we can have better results. <clears throat> well, I'm not sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna maybe assume a few things here, Brant. I'm not. Are you talking about better result, like better turf or higher quality turf, or better results with thatch? Because I was talking about thatch here, but I'm gonna assume you're just talking about generally in general turf management turf health or turf quality in general. So the question is, so if we make phosphorus more available with lime in 4.5 pH soils, we can have better results. Well, I don't know. I need to know what, what you're dealing with right now. In other words, your turf quality, what is it right now? And is it, is it acceptable? Um, at 4.5, you're probably running into some aluminum and iron, iron issues at that pH. You're, you're quite low, but you have to remember 4.5 pH when you're starting to deal with iron and aluminum toxicities, those are only in soils that have iron and aluminum. So if you're in sandy soils in South Florida where there's hardly any iron aluminum in it, then you're not going to have that same sort of concern, I guess. Um, but in general, the solubility of phosphorus peaks somewhere. Well, it actually peaks below six, but it starts to get, it, it crosses the, solubility with um, calcium at around 6.3, 6.5. So in other words, calcium 
holds phosphorus insoluble at high pHs and aluminum iron hold phosphorus insoluble at low pHs. And where those two cross, where the maximum solubility of phosphorus theoretically would be, is around 6, 6.3, 6.5, something like that. Okay, so your, to answer to your question is, would you have better results if you started at 4.5? If your turf is unacceptable at 4.5 and it's unacceptable because you have phosphorus deficiency, then very likely there's a pretty good chance, I would say, that liming a 4.5 pH soil on, with turf that's unacceptable would probably result in a more acceptable turf grass. It may be due to greater solubility of phosphorus. It may be due to something else. Um, but that would be my take on that. I don't know if you were the same person. I thought it was somebody else that mentioned 4.5 pH soils a couple episodes ago. I thought it was um, somebody in Massachusetts, or I can't remember who it was now, but um, I don't know. That's that's pretty low soils, low pH soils. I mean, that's, you know, there's a very good chance that that is causing some uh, some issues with your turf at that low. I'm not a, I'm not a number chaser, so when you throw numbers at me, I, I, I'm not comfortable giving out advice or recommendations based upon some soil test number unless I first know what the, the turf looks like or is there any pre-existing pre condition first. There's a pretty good chance at 4.5 you have problems, but I can't say that for sure unless I know more, have more information. Chuck Benzing, does analysis paralysis have any impact on standing confidently with recommendations? I'm also skeptical. <clears throat> That question's above my head, Chuck. <laughs> um, I'm not really sure what you're. <laughs> I'm not really sure what you're asking, Chuck. You got to dumb it down for me a little bit. You have to remember, I'm from Oklahoma, and and I'm from a little town in Oklahoma that no one's even heard of. So you got to you got to talk slow and walk slow. So you got to you got to slow it down for me on some of this stuff. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you mean by that, Chuck. Sorry, you can you can try to rephrase your question if you want, so I can maybe answer your question better. But oh, Brent says sorry, I'm Western Mass Turf. I didn't switch. Oh, Brent, so you are Western? Okay, <laughs> that makes sense. Okay, <laughs> okay, guys. Um, oh, Wayne Esther says lots. Last question. Lots lots of blueberries and cranberry farms here in low pH. Oh, blue blueberries. I'm not a blueberry person, but I've always heard they like low pH soils. Um, cranberries. I'm not a cranberry person either, but I've heard that as well. So it depends on the plant, depends on what's going on. Then there's turf grasses that prefer more acidic soils and there's turf grasses that prefer more basic soils. It's all, all kind of depends on the, on the plant you're dealing with. But, um, uh, the short and skinny of it is, uh, Brent is that, you know, I wouldn't do anything unless your turf is unacceptable or you are aware of a pre-existing condition that requires you to spend money on increasing the pH of your soil. So I know, I know lime is cheap, but it's the concept of engaging in a management practice without good reason that I'm concerned about. Because if you're engaging in a management practice without good reason for lime, say, then you might use those same, um, that same mentality for something else that is more more expensive like humic acids or something i want i want to try to condition as best we can to learn 
to think critically through it. Do we have a good reason at 4.5 pH? It might sound obvious. Yes, we do. But what I'm trying to say is I don't care about soil pH at all. I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me unless there is a turf grass problem or there is a pre-existing condition that we're working with or something. Don't lose sight of the goal here, people, and that is an acceptable sward. Yes, there is a great deal of risk at 4.5, no question about it. But great deal of risk does not automatically equal unacceptable turf. Okay, turf is first, and then we start to kind of go down the check boxes and see what's going on. And, I'll, you know, to be frank, 4.5 would definitely set off some red flags in my mind. There's no question. Okay. Okay, guys. Uh, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., our last paper. It's going to look very similar to the paper today. And then that will be it for Thatch. I really appreciate everybody today. You, you guys are always a great cl cl crowd. <laughs> I'm not really sure what I did to um, deserve such um, such a good audience. You're very kind, very polite, very respectful. Um, I'll tell I'll tell my my uh, my wife that Brent, <laughs> I'm a great dad. <laughs> okay. Thanks, guys. We'll see you tomorrow morning. Have a good evening. Bye.